This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 386 with Alexia Vernon. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 386. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Alexia Vernon is the author of Step Into Your Moxie, Amplify Your Voice, Visibility, and Influence in the World. Branded a moxie maven by President Obama's White House Office of Public Engagement for her unique and effective approach to female empowerment, Alexia's equal parts practical, poetic, and playful delivery style make her a sought-after speaking and leadership coach, consultant, and trainer. Alexia has presented transformational keynotes and corporate trainings for Fortune 500 companies and professional associations. She's also spoken at the United Nations and delivered a TEDx talk. She's gotten her gab on with media, including CNN, NBC, ABC, CBS, and Forbes, like all the big guys, right? She lives in Las Vegas, Nevada with her partner in business and in life, Stephen, and their precocious, wide-eyed preschool-age daughter. I have been keeping an eye on Alexia. She is a mover and a shaker. And it's funny, when we got connected, I was like, hey, I see you all over the social media, everywhere. So excited to talk. And so we immediately hit it off. But it was really fun to get to make a connection with her because she's someone I see in all the places. And she has lots of visibility. And she got some moxie, too. So I knew this was going to be a really, really fun conversation. And I cannot wait to have you all join in and listen. So listen in to hear Alexia share how to step into your moxie and what that means and why it's crucial, why speaking triggers women's shame and self-doubt and how to work through this, why speaking to large crowds is sometimes easier than intimate conversations with just a few people, why her first eight weeks of motherhood were the worst weeks of her life, how she managed and treated her postpartum depression, anxiety, and OCD, and how to teach your kids to speak with Moxie and why it's so critical, including her own experience of speaking with Moxie when she was molested by a family member. So this conversation goes in a lot of really big directions, a lot of important takeaway messages here. I could not be more honored and more excited to share with you Alexia Vernon. Alexia Vernon, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here. 
Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation a lot. Me too. So we're connected through our mutual friend Sage B. Hobbs connected us. And Sage has been on the show maybe two times, once for sure. And then she also came in as a guest into one of my membership communities. So she's good people. And so I have high expectations of her recommending you. So no pressure. <laughs> and, and I'm an over-deliverer. So knowing oh, that means I got to really bring my A-game. <laughs> perfect, perfect. So we can just tell everyone this is going to be amazing. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. I love this question for so many reasons. I'm going to start with the end and work backwards, which is actually how I advise anybody in one of my coaching and training programs to communicate. So I am most excited right now with spending time with my family and taking showers. And this will make more sense in a moment. So (laughs) the last years have been totally cray cray. And Mm. what I mean by that is Two years ago and like a week, my husband decided to leave his job and join what is now our business full time. It happened the same week that my daughter went to preschool full time and it happened within a month of getting my book deal. And so it felt like the life I'd had for my daughter's first three years totally reset in a very exciting way. But it just meant that the next few years have been really hectic And then as soon as I turned in my final revisions on my manuscript for my book, which came out October 2018, I suddenly had a couple of weeks of free time where I didn't have any clients. And my husband and I decided to build a house and sell our current one. Oh, my gosh. And so the reason why I say I'm really excited for taking showers is I've always had a horrible bathroom in my life. It was always the thing I compromised on. And I have just like a smoking hot bathroom now. Nice. This walk-in showers and the soaking tub there and the whole jam. So like, I really love that piece. But I also love being really intentional about not filling life and business with more projects for Mm. a season and doing Well, I don't want to say that because when we talk about what I'm excited about, like I've got a vision for a podcast and facilitator training program. But normally when I'm passionate about something, it's like, okay, got to deploy it within six months versus both of these projects have been incubating for by the time they launch, probably 18 months. Mm -hmm. So it's been at a pace that feels sustainable for me to only work 35 hours a week and show up at school two days a week and pick up and actually sit with her at her dance class. The mornings I don't pick her up, I drive her to school versus utilizing my husband working in the business to do a lot of the child domestic stuff. And when I thought about this summer, like I've made all these changes, the business has grown, but I'm not happy a Mm. lot. I'm loving my work, but I'm not happy when I'm showing up to my personal life and I designed the business to have this amazing personal life. And so that might be stuff we, we jump into more, but realizing that and recognizing, okay, I got myself here. I can get myself out of it has been huge. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, we're just starting out with a bang here. So (laughs) I have so many things to say already. I love that. I love all the reflection on where you've been, where you want to go, where you thought that your business would take you and then recognizing that there's complications or challenges around what you've built. I think that's really common and really normal. What I want to really touch on though is recognizing the magic in moments. And I have this thing, and it sounds like we might be similar in this way, where I love and so appreciate the freedom to work hard. So my child's in school. I love that he's in school full time. He goes to extended care a few days a week. But Mm -hmm. yesterday, for example, on Wednesdays right now, I pick him up and a classmate up and I bring them home, get them ready for soccer, give them a snack. I take them to soccer. And I love being done with work early on Wednesdays and just watching my kid play soccer. It is like such a breath of fresh air. And I am so glad that I've worked my schedule around these things where I can really be in that moment. Like I'm not going to take my laptop and sit and work during soccer. I really want to watch soccer practice. And I know there'll probably be a time where I'll be really over it and I don't care about soccer practice. But right now, I just love being in that stuff, you know, for those few hours a week that it is, it's, it's cross country or soccer. So I totally relate to like, I'm only going to work 35 hours a week because I want to be able to go and sit and watch dance. 
<laughs> yes. And to that end, there might be a day where I work eight or nine hours and I'm going to be unapologetic about yeah. that because that's yeah. what allows me to stop work. In my case, on Mondays at 2.30, wait in the carpool line for 20 minutes, right. get my kiddo, bring her to dance and then sit and truly watch that dance class rather right. than, like you said, be on the phone or be on the laptop. Right. Yeah. It's funny because I think there's a lot of talk about outsourcing things and outsourcing pickup or dinner or whatever, or for laundry, et cetera. And some of those things, I think, especially the more intense my work gets, the more I actually appreciate, like, I'm just going to listen to a podcast and fold laundry. And that's going to be like the most like enjoyable moment of my day, possibly. (laughs) Oh, yes. Nice to have that, the juxtaposition of all of that. Okay. So describe your mission of supporting women to step into their moxie. So what does this mean and why is it so important and how can we do it? (laughs) Yep. All All the things in one question. (laughs) Let's just go all in right now. (laughs) So I define stepping into your moxie as having the ability to walk into any room or onto any stage and unapologetically speak up for yourself, for your business, if you have one, for the ideas and issues that matter most to you. And to know that when you speak, you drive people to action with your words. And that's a lot. (laughs) And it is born out of me recognizing probably about a decade ago that I had spent most of my life in an on again, off again relationship. And that relationship was with myself, meaning that one moment I would feel like I was tap dancing on eggshells, really striving, hustling would probably be a better word to be liked and to give the right answers and to not be called out for failing to be enough of whomever I conjectured other people wanted me to be. But the reason I say that it was an on again, off again relationship is because that wasn't the full story. There would be these other times, sometimes in very close proximity to those former times where I was full on and loving it because I was a dancer. I was an actor. I didn't feel so safe when I wasn't hiding behind other people's words or character, but like I did enjoy being seen. And I always had this deep sense that I had leadership potential and that my ideas could provide positive impact in the world. But I didn't know how to reconcile those two pieces of me. And what I learned pretty early on in my career as a speaker was that I wasn't an aberration that Most women, particularly, not to say that men don't experience this, but most women were flip-flopping between both of these poles. And so what I'm really passionate about is, yes, I do a lot of work with coaches, consultants, and experts in terms of helping them use public speaking to grow their brands, grow their businesses, provide heaps of value And I work a little bit on the executive side in terms of senior leaders who are wanting to bring in more of their authentic speaking style to their high stakes speaking situations, but really helping people recognize the direct relationship between how we talk to ourselves on a moment to moment basis and reclaiming the role of protagonist in that inner story that we're carrying around and how that shows up when we present, whether that's on stage, in media interviews, or in everyday persuasive conversations that we might have professionally or even with our families and friends. Mm, So good. And I totally appreciate and agree that that can be so different from one moment to the next or one context to the next. Mm -hmm. And so I love that you point out that there's areas where we step into our moxie automatically. And then there's other areas where we don't at all, but we want to, right? Like we want to be, I use the terminology around like being the leader of your life. And I think there's areas where we naturally give ourselves credit for being leaders in certain areas. And then there's other areas where we have stories in our heads around like, Oh, well, but in that area, in that context, in that situation, mm-hmm. like I need to step back, take the back seat. Like I'm not a leader there. I'm not the CEO of that situation. Or I'm pretending that I am, oh. I'm showing up, I'm posturing, Yes, people thinks that, but deep yeah. down inside, it's not about self-doubt. It's knowing I'm not really showing up authentically there. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going through the motions and that can be as painful mm-hmm. as when other people are doubting our abilities. And I think we don't talk about this enough. You know, there's so much conversation in the women's empowerment space, particularly of we 
our own worst critics, and I'm not necessarily disagreeing with that, but sometimes we know that we're not showing up and we're not delivering in the way we're capable of. Mm -hmm. And we need to also be able to recognize that and know how to give ourselves grace, but also give ourselves permission to show up in a more powerful way. Right, right. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than or ordinary pitcher filters, and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. Yeah. So can you speak to a time or situation or circumstance where you were not showing up as your authentic self or where you were faking it or... Um, <laughs> Do I have to pick one? <laughs> Just pick uh, the most embarrassing one. <laughs> I share this story a lot, but for people who don't know me, which are probably a lot of people who are listening, I'm going to share it anyway, because I think it's indicative of what a lot of us experience when we're maybe a quarter into our lives. So the quick history of how I wound up on the speaking circuit was I was not somebody who came naturally to speaking the first time I ever gave a speech. It went horribly awry in third or fourth grade. Kids laughed at me. I cried. I vowed I would never put myself (laughs) in a position where I felt that diminished again. And yet fast forward to 19 years old and I'm standing on stage doing a speech probably for the first time ever without notes and like rocking it and winning the Miss Junior America competition as a result. Whoa. And so while I realize I'm fast forwarding through a lot of primary years, the reality is that it really was a fluke that I spoke well. And so I spent the next like eight to 10 years while in college and grad school and then early in my career as a trainer, not consistently showing up and being a powerful speaker because 
I hadn't really learned how to navigate through the sensation that comes up when you're in high stakes speaking situations. Mm-hmm. And so when I hung out my shingle as a coach, when I was 27, 28 years old, I did have the knowing that speaking could be a powerful way for me to build this fledgling business. But yet I was constantly hiding behind other experts facts and opinions when I would give these presentations on generations in the workplace that's what I was talking a lot about Mm -hmm. and that's what my coaching and training looked like for organizations I was using humor as a way to make people like me but the humor was never actually inviting people into a deeper conversation or to actually access their emotions and Despite all the years I've been speaking, my voice would still quaver on stage. And then that would start this debilitating self-talk of, oh, my gosh, I'm supposed to be a speaker. My voice is quavering. And then I would say, um, and like, and so, and just be super duper awkward. And then there was this one keynote experience I had where I showed up a little bit early to this event where I was speaking in time for the participants pitch fest. And this was a social enterprise event with about 120 somethings in attendance. And I was super excited to watch the pitches and was kind of stunned when the finalists were announced. Now, let me backtrack for a moment and say that the finalists for this pitch fest were voted on by the other attendees in the room, meaning there was no expert panel weighing in. And the room was about 50 percent female, 50 percent male. And the reason I was stunned is because every single finalist's name that was announced was one of the young men. Mm. So just be super duper clear, not one woman was picked by a full of her peers. And so I had this keynote I was about to give in a few hours. But before that, I just went nuts. Or I would prefer to say, got curious. <laughs> so I started asking whoever would speak to me, like, what just happened? Where are the voices of the young women? And why are neither men or women voting for them? Yeah, yeah. And what I heard was actually very consistent, irrespective of gender, meaning both the young men and the young women said that they picked based on who they saw as the best pitcher, meaning who took up space, who mm-hmm. projected confidence, what we would call a more masculine model of delivery. But yet when I asked, who are the speakers that you really felt most connected to, whose ideas you wanted to champion, and if you were in a position would fund, and both the young men and the young women listed a lot of women's names, because when we unpicked that a little bit more, they said, well, the women told stories, they were vulnerable. At times, they were so honest that they admitted they still had X, Y, Z things to master before they would be in a, a position to accept funding. And of course, that wasn't seen to be good speaking. Interesting. And the reason I'm talking about this when the question was, you know, a moment where you didn't have your voice, like just to reiterate, I didn't have my voice for probably the first two to three years of my business when I was presenting. But this was a moment when I was like, okay, I can't give the same safe presentation I've been giving to try to win favor with the audience and hope that people will like me enough to want to hire me to be their individual coach. I need to speak truth to what I'm seeing, which is I get what's happened here because I've spent most of my life and certainly my professional career ping ponging between what I thought was what, quote, good speaking and leadership looked like, trying to take up more space with my body and projecting confidence and having all these facts and figures behind me. And yet the feminine that would occasionally seep out of me wasn't my strength. It was my weakness. So I would say, um, and like, because I had these ideas and these stories I wanted to tell, but I was too terrified to tell them. And yet if I was truly in my feminine and like also truly in my masculine in an authentic way and brought those together in those rare moments, like Miss Junior America, that's when I was magical. And I knew that I wanted to be a conduit for primarily women, but also evolved, conscious, eager to learn men to be able to do that in their communication. And so while I would not suggest that everything was rainbows and cupcakes after that, <laughs> keynote, I really did within the next 60 days, reinvent my business. And for approximately a decade, maybe a little bit longer, this has been the focus of my work. 
Because mm. that's such a great story and a great example. And I think that comes with maturity and experience for sure. And I think it also comes with having this like glaring moment of hold on a second, like what is happening here? You see something and it shifts everything. And like you saw that situation at that pitch fest and it shifted everything for you. And I think that that's often how it happens where we see something and then we can look at ourselves and be like, wait a minute, I need to unravel all the things and sew them back together in a different way. Yes. And I want to also acknowledge something else that happened in the background, because I could see listeners who feel like they're on the precipice of a transition be like, God, is there supposed to be this one moment? Mm. I've been thrashing around here for a (laughs) while, is that I've had plenty of those as well. But the other thing that was happening in the background was that my big, like first six figure corporate contract that I got had just been cut. And I had let go of like almost all of my smaller clients at that point to make space for this big one. I just moved into my first house with my husband and we were suddenly hit with the reality of I got to either rebuild a business stat or I need to go back and take a job. Mm -hmm. And when I had that moment at that pitch fest, knowing full well, like I should probably take the safe route because I can't muck around here. Like I need clients. But then to know, like, if I'm going to have to rebuild something from the ground floor, I might as well build the business that I really want rather than the business that I think will be the most convenient. And so that actually, while in the moment was incredibly terrifying, was very helpful for me not repeating past mistakes of just doing what I thought the marketplace would want me to do. Right, right. Yeah, I've been through three, I'm on my now third career and there hasn't been huge, massive, like hit me over the head, glaring things where I'm like, okay, that was the sign that I needed. It has been a series of steps and a series of incidences. So yes, there definitely will be many situations where people won't have that one big thing. But I absolutely agree that when you recognize the need to shift or pivot or evolve in a certain way, that the energy behind that is you are so passionate about it that you can't ignore it. And that's what's happened to me. And it hasn't been doing it in a massively risky way as much as like getting really curious and thoughtful and then intentional and strategic and all those things to make sure that I want to go to this next space, which is a bigger place than I've been before and potentially a riskier place than I've been before. And here's how I can look at some data to recognize that this can be done because there's already people doing it well and there's no reason that I'm not as qualified as them. And here's how I can take some strategic steps that maybe are risky, but I'm not a high risk person. So a risky and a reasonable way for me. So let's talk about women and speaking and shame and self doubt. So why is speaking an area where so many women experience shame and self doubt? Speaking, whether we're talking about interpersonal communication, uh, negotiation, any other kind of daring conversation, giving a speech, being on camera in an interview, it is the area that brings up our stuff faster Mm. than any other area I've experienced professionally and personally. And so we know that shame and self-doubt are forces that all of us have to be able to navigate through. But for those who decide, like, I want to prioritize my speaking irrespective of the context, if shame and self-doubt are things you're working on, they're going to show up there. And once we recognize that, I think it's liberating when we realize the shame and the self-doubt, that it's not happening because of the speaking. Mm -hmm. Speaking is just a lens for us to see the truth of what's going on behind closed doors. And I want to give some context to speaking because I think this is like if you're talking about like speaking to a stadium of people, obviously that would relate here. But I also think there's smaller contexts where it's like speaking in a company meeting, speaking in a board meeting, speaking in a room of eight of your peers. So this doesn't just pertain to like getting on stage at a massive event or conference to speak. I think this is on so many levels. It can be speaking to your partner and having a really yeah conversation about what's going on or what's not going on. 
I agree with you 100%. And sometimes it's the more micro conversations we have to have Mm -hmm. with key players in our professional or personal lives where that level of visibility feels even more suffocating. Yes. If we have been in a pattern where we have been speaking half-truths. Yeah, yes. And I would say I would rather be on a stage with bright lights where I can't see hundreds or thousands (laughs) of people in front of me than sitting at a table with eight people under fluorescent lights, like, because the level of vulnerability and intimacy, and I think opportunity maybe for things to go sideways and me not have control seem greater in that situation. And you really just hit the magic word, which is control. (laughs) I'm a bit of a control freak. I'm with you, sister. When we think about what our worst fear of speaking is, it's actually not that we're going to stutter or that we forget our material. Like None of those things are our problems inherently. It's that whatever happens, we won't be able to control how we respond to it or how we respond right. to it won't be enough. Mm-hmm. And if we can heal that and recognize that <laughs> we never have control. And that no matter what happens in a conversation, in a presentation, or in any other speaking format is survivable, it will embolden us to go all in with our communication in that context and be present enough to be able to navigate through anything that surprises us in it, whether that's in front of a live audience or like we've mentioned in a conversation or more intimate setting. Right. I want to shift gears a little bit into your postpartum experience and to motherhood. And that might've been a situation that took you by surprise. I think mm-hmm. postpartum, like no matter what your struggle was postpartum, whether you were you know impacted by postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety or none of that, I think postpartum takes us all by surprise. So can you talk a little bit about your entrance into motherhood and how navigating postpartum, that postpartum time period had helped you or gave you an opportunity to reconnect back to your voice and ultimately amplify your work in supporting women to speak with Moxie? You bet. So as much as I'm a planner and I had every detail of my pregnancy and my delivery planned, I did not have a chapter plan for postpartum depression. Right. And it really did throw me because if I look at the nine months leading up while I was incubating my babe... My husband and I had a very easy time getting pregnant, and I was incredibly grateful for that. I had overall an easy pregnancy. Like, there were some weird things, like when I woke up with hives for three days, that was unpleasant for the sciatica, but like everything overall was beautiful. Like I loved being pregnant. I gained 50 pounds and I'm pretty petite. And it was really awesome that it all went to my belly and to my chest and like my (laughs) A boobs became like C almost D cup. Like I loved it. Um, I was one of those obnoxious women you see in glossy magazines and you think like, Oh, seriously? Like, nobody looks like that nine months pregnant. They're not that happy doing downward dogs on their yoga mat. <laughs> and you probably could gather that I said I, I planned a lot of things, that I wanted a very natural childbirth with the oils and Yanni and Otmar Lieber mm-hmm. playing in the background. And while I did manage to get Yanni and Otmar Lieber, I was not expecting to have to be induced because my daughter wasn't breathing. And something happened during that delivery where I was administered every single intervention I vowed I did not want, where I suddenly felt like I was no longer the protagonist in my birth story and I was Mm -hmm. totally out of control. Mm -hmm. And the first eight weeks of my daughter's life were hands down the worst eight weeks of my life. And I wish I could tell you that all of these egregious things happened. I mean, there were some there were some bummers. My cat, who I'd had for 13 years of my life as an adult, died within 24 hours of getting my daughter home from the hospital. And it was an awful death. It was loud. It was seemingly painful. Um, that definitely started the depression. Not being able, not having my milk come in because I'd been induced and 
you know, that was hard. Ultimately, I didn't decide to continue breastfeeding. And that felt like I was really a failure as a mom based on how I had deemed breastfeeding to be the most important gift that I could give my child. And then I just started to get really disconnected from myself. So I'd had depression at various points in my life, but in spite of that, I could still find moments of joy. Mm -hmm. But I really felt like this life that I had and the person who I was, was somebody who I didn't know and didn't want to get to know. So I suddenly had anxiety about everything. It was didn't help that it was cold and flu season, and I'm definitely wired towards some OCD around germs, but I wouldn't leave the house at all with my daughter. I'd wear face mask at home for fear that like somehow somebody else into my home might have contaminated me. I was washing my hands a million times a day. I was terrified I was going to drop my daughter. Um, I was terrified to take her like on walks in my neighborhood because what if the stroller rolled over? And I mean, like, it, I didn't just have, like, a little bit of anxiety and depression. Like, I was I was the, the poster child for what postpartum depression looks like, and I knew it. And mm. the worst part was I didn't want to do anything about it because it felt like it would just take too much effort, and I didn't want to do anything other than lay in my bed and cry. Oh, my gosh. And so I feel so blessed that this cycle didn't go on more than maybe eight or nine weeks before my husband and my mom said, you have to do something because this is not you and you don't have to stay this way. And so I wish I could say that there was like a magic cure. We did a few things and I'm always very uh, open about what they were because I'll never know exactly what it was. So one of the things I felt strongly about was that my hormones were completely out of whack, which of course they are for everybody (laughs) postpartum. But like I was having full on menopausal symptoms, hot flashes and things. And so fortunately, I went to some holistic doctors who checked all my hormones and like I had zero progesterone and estrogen in my body. So I got on natural progesterone simultaneously to getting on Prozac. (laughs) So I'll never really know which one it was, probably a combo of the two. And I also got on a low dose sleeping pill so that I could sleep because I hadn't been sleeping more than an hour a night. And it wasn't because my daughter was waking. It was I just couldn't sleep. And so really within 48 hours, I mean, everything lifted. It's not to say that everything changed, but like I felt like myself again, just Mm -hmm. going through a really rough time versus feeling like I was the stranger living in my body and in my life with this child I had wanted so desperately, but couldn't connect with and a husband who I loved, but couldn't connect to as well. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that sounds so intense. I had an experience when my son was about a year and a half old where, so I maintained, so nursing was, my milk never came in. Nursing was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And I've talked about that a lot on the podcast. Um, So I relate to that struggle for sure. And again, as the perfectionistic controlling kind of person, (laughs) that's very hard to manage. But I had an experience when my son was about a year and a half old where I caught a glimmer of myself just so happy and laughing. And I was with my husband and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm the old me. And I hadn't even recognized that I hadn't seen that side of myself in so long. And oh my goodness, it was all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, I have not seen the old me, nor has my husband or anyone else that I know in a year and a half. And that was a profound moment to recognize like, where have I even been? I don't (laughs) know. Um, And I wasn't someone, I did not have the extreme any of the extremes that you mentioned, but I think there was just this kind of low line depression, anxiety around motherhood and around a lot of the things that were related to nursing that I just struggled to overcome and kept pushing through. Cause I did have the energy to get out of bed. I did have the energy to like do the basics. And so I was like, well, I'm doing well enough. <laughs> like we'll just let well enough be enough for now. Um, <laughs> so I relate to that feeling of like something shifting and, and re- recognizing a piece of your old self and feeling like, oh my gosh, <laughs> am I coming back? And, and also, where have I even been? It's a pretty powerful experience. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted? And Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as math. 
Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where, as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever, and your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you, and you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's also sobering when these moments where we feel disconnected from our voice, from our truth, happen when... We didn't see it coming. And when everything on the side was magical, like that Mm -hmm. year was a big year of growth in my business. I had mastered the netting six figures and only working 20 hours a week and being pregnant and taking naps like that all was so Mm. juicy. But when I look back, while I can say that, okay, hormones, the death of my cat, not getting the delivery I wanted, the reality that my husband who took a, a leave of absence from his work was going back to work. That meant he was traveling five days a week, sometimes six days a week outside the home. Like there were those things that played a role. Truthfully, what was also happening at a deeper level was recognizing that the life I had before my daughter was not the life that I could have or that would allow me to thrive in all the ways that I wanted to thrive after my daughter Mm -hmm. and recognizing that I was not comfortable being uncomfortable at this time when I was sleep deprived and suddenly had this other being dependent on me. Like I needed to navigate and find answers more quickly than what the scenario was going to allow. And that I think also played a powerful role because what I recognized was that was the time when I decided I want to have my husband leave his career and join the business. Mm. Like that can't happen overnight. We got to work to get there. But in his field, there's never going to be a scenario where I'm going to be comfortable and he's truthfully going to be comfortable with us not living our lives together where I'm basically raising my daughter with a nanny. And so that being able to articulate that was hard, but necessary, but also realizing that my business was good, but it had so much room to scale. And like, yeah, I probably wasn't going to be able to only work 20 hours to get it to where I wanted it to be. And yet I had this sweet little business that made it really convenient to be a stay at home mom and work Mm -hmm. during naps with some part time babysitting. But being able to say to myself and to my husband and to my mom, who had a very specific viewpoint of what a work from home mom should look like, that I want to get a I want to get a nanny to work with Mm -hmm. me to 30 hours a week. And I've got this vision. My business wasn't really online at that point to take it online, to build courses, to lead live events. Like while birthing my daughter, it also felt like I had birthed this new level of ambition that felt scary. But if I was going to be in my integrity and tell other women to speak with Moxie, like I needed to own that that's what I wanted and make that work. Absolutely. One of the things, one of the experiences that I had, which I've spoken about on the show quite a bit is I spent that whole first year grieving my old life and waiting for things to quote unquote, go back to normal and Mm -hmm. thinking that like, well, at some point (laughs) this baby situation is going to get under control and then everything will go back (laughs) to normal. And this baby should just take up like 10% of the, like the pie. Right. And then like everything else is just the same. So as soon as I get that all under control, we'll be good. And finally, after about a year, and it really took me three years to really fully see all of this. But after a full year, I was like, oh, wait, we're not going back. And there's a lot of opportunity in that. Instead of going back, 
I get to build something completely new and different. And there's a ton of gifts in that. And by the time he was three, I recognized like, oh, now I actually ended up you know, selling a business and opening, starting a whole new thing. And I recognize now in hindsight, I'm like, oh, there was a huge opportunity in motherhood to move into a new identity, build a new identity around anything that I wanted to. But I was very stuck in that first year of like, when are we going back? How do we get there sooner? And rather than seeing, oh, this is how I can move forward. And this is even bet could be better than before. And so I love this idea of stepping into your moxie in this new sense, in this new state as a mom and as a woman who's been through something you know, amazing and big and traumatic and dramatic and all of those things. Um, and I, I think it takes, takes some time to digest all of that, but there's so much opportunity for growth. And like you said, stepping into your moxie from there. I love how you stated that, that nostalgia for, can't it just go back to what it was that I don't know any mom who doesn't in some way connect with and reframing that to what can my life evolve into? Right, right. Yeah. So how can we as moms empower our children and especially our daughters? So you have, how old is your daughter now? She is five and a half, or she likes to say five and three quarters. Oh, (laughs) so cute. So how can we empower our children and our daughters to, especially our daughters to speak with Moxie, with friends and with grownups? This is one of my favorite things. And if I really wanted to work 24 <laughs> seven, like an adjacent part of my business. Cause I'm so passionate about it. So pre-K, my daughter was in pre-K last year and pre-K was a rough year for us for a number of reasons. But one of them was that there were some difficult girl dynamics that started mm-hmm. happening. So I have a lot of friends who have teenagers and I was like, really everything you're describing is happening at four for us. Oh, <laughs> what gives? And one of the things that both my husband and I found so helpful was using the tools we use in the coaching and training business with her in terms of helping her role play difficult conversations she had to navigate through with friends so that she didn't just try out setting boundaries and sticking up for herself for the first time on the playground, but we had really done it for, we had done it with her over and over again. So it made it easier for her. One of the other conversations we have role played since probably she was two years old is the conversation around safe touch and consent. So the first time that I can really remember stepping into my moxie, I was four years old. It was Christmas and every year at Christmas time, my parents would have a huge shindig where they would invite over friends and family. And my dad owned a business, so he'd bring over his coworkers. And this particular Christmas, after everybody had gone home, I was upstairs asleep in my bedroom and I was praying harder than perhaps I had or would ever pray for some guidance because. I had made a pact earlier that evening with someone that I would keep a secret. And although this was back in the day before the expression snitches get stitches was popular, I still knew that if I spoke up, there would be consequences. But yet I also knew that if I didn't say anything, there would be consequences there as well. And so I got myself up out of bed. I walked over to my parents' bedroom. I woke them up and I shared with them that... Um, somebody that night who was in our family had molested me. Oh my gosh. And the takeaways from that experience continue over 30 years later. But one of the things I was curious about for so long was why I spoke up, which is something that we know, unfortunately, very few kids do. And it wasn't until around the time of my daughter's birth that I figured out why. So, While there were some people in my family, my mom epitomizes this, who believed me, who protected me, who made sure I got the healing that I needed, because this was happening in our family, there were other folks who had a really hard time with this revelation and felt like believing me meant that they would have to excavate this other family member from our lives, and that wasn't something that they felt comfortable doing. But Around the time of my daughter's birth, my mom and I were going through old memorabilia, photos and albums and so forth. And we stumbled upon this article that she had ripped from a parenting magazine 
that talked about how do you talk to your children about what constitutes safe touch and how do you role play with them conversations so that if they are touched, they have appropriate words to say no and then to share what they've gone through with a supportive adult. And based on the date of this article in my mom's notes, suddenly it became clear to her and it became clear to me that she had had those kinds of conversations with me Mm. and in advance of when the incidents started. And that no doubt that played a role in why I spoke up because I had not only the words to be able to do so, but I practiced the conversations, particularly with my mom and felt safe telling her. And so while role play is a huge piece of my work with adult women around daring conversations or speeches or what have you, it's also something that is a tool we all should be using with our kids, regardless of the conversation, if we want to empower them to, to step into their moxie. Oh my gosh. Thank you for sharing that really important, important example. I totally agree. And I think there's so many contexts for empowering kids to speak with moxie. I mean, obviously the example you just gave is extremely critical and crucial. But I think there's so many other examples of just kids learning social skills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know we had this when my son was really little and he was being bitten on a regular basis in his classroom, which is like not abnormal in a classroom of two-year-olds, but having conversations with him around like, what do you say when someone bites you? You say, no, you can't bite me. And then you go tell a teacher. And it was, right. I'm laughing about it because practicing this with a two-year-old was it felt like a joke kind of because he barely had the words literally like he could barely pronunciate them. But that opportunity to have those kinds of conversations early on is also so powerful and opens the door to giving your kids really firm ground to stand on when things do happen and when they do need to find those voices. How can we handle it and reconcile it when someone threatens to steal our moxie? This is such a loaded question because there's the stuff that we aspire to do in the moment with that person. Mm -hmm. And then there's the stuff we can do with ourselves. And what I have experienced so many times in my own life and through the work is that what matters most is the work we do with ourselves because that's the only part that we can control Mm -hmm. that while it's important for us to be able to speak our truth in a contextually appropriate way and to be unapologetic about our boundaries and letting folks know when they've been trespassed, more important is what do we do for ourselves to heal and to not archive that story in such a way that it changes who we think we are for the worse. When I think about a lot of the women who have been attracted to me and to my work over the years, there's often a history of some kind of abuse or silencing. And so often what I'll hear when I start working with someone is, well, then this person did that to me too, because I'm that kind of person who just like calls in people who silence her or who are abusive or Mm. whatever. And that is the most damaging thing ourselves rather than, honor ourselves in those moments for whatever we did to survive that moment. And truly, there are some moments where just surviving and not (laughs) losing it or becoming defeated, like that's enough. Mm -hmm. But if there's a moment where we did manage to get something out, honoring ourselves for that, but most important is us recognizing that all these things that happen are footnotes in the story of who we are and our moxie. They are not defining chapters unless we choose to make them so. And if we want to make them so, then we better look at our role as that of a protagonist rather than as a victim or a supporting apathetic character. Because that's what's going to enable us to show up and give our best selves the next time one of those situations happens. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I love the idea or the way you framed it around the way we archive stories or the way we archive our experiences, because that's exactly the way we put them in a little file cabinet with like all sorts of little tags on them. (laughs) And we have to be careful how we file things, how we store them away, because we absolutely can do it in a way that gives us power or completely disempowers us. And so, yeah, I firmly agree with what you said about being careful about the way we frame all of that. Okay. So last question. I want to know how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom. I love that you ask this question. (laughs) And 
For me, there's a lot of things that come to mind, but one of the most important things is being really honest about what I'm working on as a mom and in my family. So I'm very cognizant of not always just showing the pictures where my daughter's on stage singing and look at her. She has this beautiful moxie where then it's going to create FOMO and comparison mm, yeah. stuff. I'm, I'm careful not to overshare things about my daughter unless we've talked about it and she has some awareness that it's being shared. So a lot of times the messy stuff I'm sharing is about me responding to situations. So, you know, we're in that cycle where it feels like if you just look at my daughter the wrong way, she's sick. So I'll talk about my fear of germs and how I'm navigating through the reality of I'm a speaker like this fall, I'm on the road eight or nine weeks in a row. And like the reality is, is if I'm sick, it sucks because it impairs my work, which impairs our revenue and so forth. But like talking about that stuff in tandem with the moments where it's like, yeah, the stars perfectly aligned and we had a great day as a family, I think is really important. So that whatever season we're in of motherhood, like I think in the last five years since I've had my daughter, there's so much more discourse around women not just getting obsessed with pregnancy and delivery, but like recognizing that really becoming a mother changes radically after that. So put your attention on the postpartum stage. But then sometimes it's like, okay, there's a lot of stuff on pregnancy and postpartum and toddler years, but then it's like, great, by the time your kid's in preschool or kindergarten, you should have it all figured out. So wanting to be a part of talking about the realities of life as our kiddos grow up without over-dramatizing it or making it seem like this magical musical paradise, but like playing in every (laughs) space between those two poles. Absolutely. Totally. I love it. And I strive to do the same as well. Yeah, totally. And I think there's so much space for us to do that, to be vulnerable and messy. And then also have a few pretty pictures every now and then. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. So tell listeners where they can find you, where they can connect with you and learn more about you and how they can work with you. Thank you. So across social media, I'm Alexia Vernon. For those who are jazzed about this conversation around their voices, I do have a book called Step Into Your Moxie, which you can purchase from all major booksellers. And for those who might identify in the coach consultant expert space and be curious about using speaking to grow their businesses and their visibility and their thought leadership, I do have a digital guide called ninemistakes.com. And it is literally the word nine mistakes. And it looks at the nine mistakes coaches, consultants, and experts make as speakers and how to avoid them. And I always love to tell people, because I think it matters, that there is a nurture sequence that's attached, but it doesn't move people to buy any. Thing, it like literally just gives you content for a while and lets you know about things that I run at various points during the year. Nice. Awesome. Thank you. So we will link all that up over in the show notes so people can easily connect with you over there by clicking on things. Great. Thank you so much for spending time here today, Alexia. And I appreciate especially all the moments that you decided to be vulnerable and really share some of the darker experiences that you've had that have also given you space to step into your moxie and in more powerful ways, because I know that that will help so many of our listeners do the exact same. So thank you so much. My pleasure. And thank you for doing the work you do and holding space for these conversations, because there are not enough of them happening. And you are a masterful, masterful interviewer. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. 
Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.